So I have a confession. I love mission trips. I always like to keep a bag packed, ready to go. You never know when you'll get a chance to go on a good mission trip. Isn't that right? We got a team going to Birmingham, England uh, this afternoon. And uh, if I could find a way to uh, pack myself in one of your suitcases and go to Birmingham, England for a week to be on a mission trip, I would pack myself in a bag and go. I just love mission trips. I always have. It's always been something that uh, has been uh, a part of my heart. Uh, and and I, I love everything about a mission. Now, good thing that your mission missions pastor likes mission trips. Isn't that right? I see Ricky over here smiling. He goes, yeah, you know, that should be a prerequisite for being a missions pastor is that you love mission trips. I do. I, 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 this week as I was preparing for this message, I kind of looked back through uh, my life and um, looked back since 1989. I have counted 47 mission trips that I've been on, and, and they're, they're from uh, short-term trips to a little bit longer-term trips from uh, somewhere uh, in the state of South Carolina to all across the world. Uh, there are places that, uh, that I've been to, and I, I enjoy the uniqueness of each trip that I go on. I enjoy the planning process that goes on. I love uh, looking at airline flights, and I love looking at uh, hotel rates, and, and I love talking to our missions partners and working on uh, all the details. I love having team members that will text me three or four times a day to make sure that, uh, that everything is okay uh, on the trip. I really do love that, Kathy Troutman. It's not a problem. I, I love people who are passionate about about mission trips. And as I was As I was thinking about this message, I was going... What makes mission trips so exciting? In fact, I wrote down, I, I find mission trips exhilarating. There's just this excitement and this anticipation and this, 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 uh, this thing that God is going to do something and I want to be a part of it. What, what is it that makes a mission trip exhilarating? Something that I get excited about, not quite like I get excited when I get in my truck and drive to Target to go grocery shopping on Friday morning. And this is, this is what I came up with. It, it, it's right there in the name of what we call it. We call it a mission trip. And, and, and a mission is an important assignment carried out for a specific purpose. An important assignment carried out for a specific purpose. So when I go on a mission trip, it's different from a business trip. It's different from a family trip. It's different from a personal trip uh, because the important assignment is that there is something about God's kingdom that I am going to be about. And that makes the mission trip important. That gives it, that gives it purpose. That gives it, it meaning. And, and when we go on a mission trip, we know we're going to be there for this specific amount of time. We know the team is going to leave this afternoon for Birmingham, England. They're going to arrive tomorrow morning in Birmingham, England, and they're going to spend uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday doing missions work. And we kind of know what that picture is and what the purpose of that trip is for. And, and, and we, we, we know that it's important because people take time off of work they pay, take time off of, uh, from, from family. They get on a plane. They get on a van. They get on a bus, and they'll drive for hours. They'll fly for hours. They'll go to sleep on the floor on a mat in an empty school building. 
They'll sleep in a bunk bed. They'll take cold showers. And all of this lends itself to realize there is something important about what we are doing when we go on that mission trip, something that, that is, is vital to the kingdom of God. And now, here's what I, I, I know. Not everybody in this room has ever been on a mission trip. Not everybody in this room will ever go on a mission trip. There are some people in this room who will never go on a mission trip. And that's okay. Now, let me just tell you, honestly, I would love to, to, to sit down with each one of you and find a place and take you away for a week with a group of people to be a part of a mission trip. I would love to do that. But I know realistically that that's probably not going to happen. But I'm going I'm to use a lot of mission trip references today. I've got a lot of stories uh, to tell. And so uh, I, I want to use those experiences that I've had to help us understand uh, the passage of scripture we're going to talk about, but I want to be more inclusive and more expansive than just being talking about an, a specific trip, uh, because I want us, like I say, not everybody's going on a mission trip. I understand that. I, I wish I could talk you into it, but I understand that you may not go. So I want us to be more expansive and more inclusive. I want us to talk about this morning what it means to be on mission with God and for God. No matter where you are, no matter how old or how young you are, no matter what your position in life, I want us to look about, look at this passage of Scripture and find out what it means for us to be on mission with God wherever we are. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to talk about uh, uh, Abram and, and his early life. In the Bible, we're going to use his story to help us understand what it looks like to be on mission. And here's the end. This is what I hope when we get to the end of the service today. I hope that everybody in this room will have some idea of what God has called them to be on mission about. I, I want you to know your specific mission in this life, at this particular point in your life. And I want you to be dedicated to uh, pursuing that mission. I want you to be inspired to go and seek that mission with all your heart. So, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abraham, or Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left for Haran. Father, thank you for the life of Abraham. Thank you for his story that we're going to look at today. Thank you that he was a man of faith. and Thank you that we can follow his example. And Lord, may you speak to each one of us this morning. May you help us understand our mission, understand what you have called us to do. Give us the, the strength to pursue that mission, to dedicate ourselves to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at Abram, I, I want to, I'm, not a, I'm not big on trying to make sure everybody understands the geography of everything that goes on in the Bible, but this is a little bit important. Uh, Abram starts out in the previous chapter in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, 
And, and he and his family leave Ur and they move to Haran. And while Abram's in Haran, he 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 moves his he leaves his bigger family and he goes to what God has told him is his promised land and his inheritance. God has made a covenant with Abram to take him and give him this uh, piece of land, which we'll, we know is Israel later on uh, in the Bible. But he leaves Haran, and he goes from Haran, and we find in this story today he, ends, he, he comes to Shechem, he comes to uh, Bethel, and then eventually he leaves Bethel in the promised land, goes to Egypt, spends some time in Egypt before traveling back to Bethel where he will uh, settle down with his family. So I did all of the calculations of what all of the, the mileage was for him, for him traveling during this time, and it totaled about 1,500 miles. Now, now, that doesn't seem like a lot to us, for those of us who put 1,500 miles uh, a month in our cars. Um, it, you know, that's not a lot. Some people have driven across the country and back and put more miles on that in a car uh, in just a week or two. We'll second, yep, and he's done it with two, two kids and a dog. Is that right? Yeah, God bless you. Uh, so listen, but this was 1,500 miles at a time when the, the size of the group he was traveling with, he could probably only travel about 15, 20 miles a day. And, and this was a trip that was going, as, as he's traveling, he has to make provisions for the, it, all of the people. He has to find food and water and shelter. This is a trip that's going to be months taking place. This is going to be a trip that, that calls for, for Abram to make sacrifices, to plan, to work hard. And it gives us an idea of what it means to be on mission for God. So what does it mean to be on mission for God? Well, the first thing that I find in this story that uh, it means to be on mission for God is that it begins with a call. In verse 1 it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, the Lord had said to Abram. Abram's journey began with a call. The Lord said to Abram, leave your family and go to the land that I promised. Abram's call was to leave and to go. Now, I, I want to make sure we don't do two things to, to, this, to this point, that the Lord has a call for us. I don't want to uh, overstate and I don't want to underemphasize. I think we have a tendency to do both. The first is, I don't want us to underemphasize the call that Abram had. Because if we underemphasize that, what, I, what we do is we misunderstand that God has a call for each one of our lives. Each one of each one of us, those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, has a unique and specific call in our lives. And, and a lot of times we underemphasize that. We think, well, I, you know, I'm just this. How can God use me? I'm just, a, I'm just a, 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 a young person going to school. How can God use me? What could God call me to do? I'm just a retired person sitting at home. I don't know what God has called me to do. God can't use me. Let me, let me, be, real, let me be real emphatic here. Every person in this room who says they are a follower of Christ, has a unique, special, different call to accomplish some mission for God. That's an important, that is an important point for us to wrap our minds around. That means that the God of the universe, 
the God who created everything we see way past what we can see. He has a purpose for your life. He has something that he wants you to accomplish. He wants you to be a part of his mission. Now, generically, we all have, we all have a call. We, we all have the same big umbrella call. We are all called to spread the kingdom of God in this world. We are all called to share the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus with everybody that we come in contact with. That's kind of a generic call. But within that, there is a specific call that God has in your life. Don't underestimate your value to the kingdom of God. Don't underestimate the importance of what it is that you're called to do. Now, I, I'm just going to say that I, I believe that this is, this is one of the most important aspects of this passage that I want you to, to, to get around. The Lord said to Abram, the Lord is saying to Jamie, leave and go. Here is your mission. And why is it important for us to know our mission? Well, John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give you life abundantly. And when I read that passage of Scripture, I, I, I just see you know, this overflowing of purpose and meaning in life. And when we, are, when we are on mission with God, following his call into this broken world with the message of grace, we will be the most fulfilled people in all of the world because we'll have the most important mission in our hands as we go. Now, here's what's important to realize. Now, we, we live in the, the most... Um, um, prosperous age in the world. We live in one of the most prosperous countries in the world. We have resources at our hands that nobody else has had in the history of the world. But what, what that doesn't equal is fulfillment. I have sat in a one-room house in South Africa. The only furniture that they had was a mat that laid on the floor in the corner. They had a lamp that sat on the floor beside it. They had a car battery that powered the lamp and a hot plate. That was it. It's all they had. Yet, they smiled and shared the joy that they had in Christ. I, I have literally walked into homes in Costa Rica built in the city's dump. And had the, the Christians in those homes open up their homes, share with us their food and give us a meal and smile and, and talk about the joy of Christ in their lives. In both instances and in other instances, you can look around and there is no material wealth. But there is an abundance of joy and peace and fulfillment because fulfillment comes with knowing your mission in Christ and pursuing that mission. So I don't want to under I don't I don't want to underestimate. I don't want to underemphasize this point. You have a mission. I also don't want to overstate this point. Some people become paralyzed waiting on God's mission. Well, if God is the God of the universe, his mission is important. I can't move until I know exactly what that mission is. 
That's not the case. Don't wait until you get the specific revelation from God that tells you to walk down the street and share the gospel with this person. Go and live your lives. Follow Christ. And as you follow Christ, God will make known to you his mission and his call on your life. One of the joys of uh, being a missions pastor is I get to meet lots of missionaries. Uh, and, and David Petro, come on up, David, is, uh, is one of those missionaries that, uh, that I have uh, had the opportunity to meet and work with his family in, uh, in uh, Lindazi, Zambia. And I've asked him just to come and kind of share with you uh, about how he and his family uh, kind of solidified their call uh, to missions. You know, before we went overseas with the International Mission Board, we actually lived here in Rock Hill, South Carolina. In fact, I was on staff at Northside Baptist just down the road from here. And at Northside, we were enjoying a, a great ministry, great people, great time there. And we were seeing things happen, both in the, the lives of the individual believers and the life of the church. And we were participating in missions as a church. We were going out into the community here in Rock Hill and doing different things to try to engage the community. We were going on mission trips. We had uh, things going on in Virginia and West Virginia. We went over to Kentucky. There were some that went down to New Orleans. So those things were happening. We were going overseas. We served in Botswana. We served in Zambia. So a lot of good things were happening. And so through that process, we were really happy to be there. And it wasn't that we were starving for missions that we went overseas, but rather the missions that we were already participating in fueled our desire even more to go. And so in tandem with what was happening in the church was what was happening in our individual lives and in our prayer time. So we would do our devotionals, and as we were reading the Bible and spending time in God's Word on a daily basis, we started to see the heart of God for the nations, for all people. And so as you get more and more familiar with the Bible, you start to see that our God is a missionary God and the Bible is a missionary book. And the more closely you know God and you know his word, the more intently you will be missionary. Now that's not to say that you have to leave your job, not to say you have to leave your home and travel overseas and, and do a uh, plant your life in another location to be a missionary. God gifts and calls us differently, and so God has, had gifted us as we began to pray about it. We felt like God had gifted us in a way that we could live overseas and thrive in a way that would glorify God, and we could minister in that uh, environment. But God has gifted, as Jamie has said, God has gifted all of us differently, and so God has gifted you in a way that you also can reach the people that are around you and that God has planted in your life. And so we started seeking, well, how do we do this? What do we, how do we move forward with serving God in another location? And so we applied with the International Mission Board, and they accepted us, and we started going through the process with them. And we were sitting, one day I was sitting with my oldest daughter, Michaela. At the time, she was four or maybe five years old. And she was sitting in my lap, and we were going through a book, and in that book it shared a different unreached, unengaged people group every day. And so we would read through that description of the people, and it would read through the description of the barrier. We would read through the description of the barriers that they had to coming to Christ. And so that particular day, Michaela was sitting in my lap, and she looked up at me, and she said, "Well, why don't they know about Jesus?" And I said, "Well, nobody has gone to tell them." 
And Michaela said, well, Daddy, we should go. And <laughs> so it was neat to see how God was already working in our children's hearts as well. And it was really interesting because that day, they didn't even know at the time that we had applied with the International Mission Board, accepted a job request to go to the Herero people in Namibia. Well, the day that she said that was the Herero people in Namibia that we were uh, studying or reading about that day. And so God used that time in our lives to call us to go and serve him overseas. Thank you, David. Uh, one of the things I just love to hear in that story is this is this organic response to something that is going on in their life. They're following God's mission here in Rock Hill. They're, they're doing their mission in their neighborhood, uh, in their uh, community, uh, in their uh, in their state, and going on places in, in the, around uh, the southeast. And from there, God calls them to, uh, to Zambia. And so uh, it's, as, as we're listening for God's call in our lives, be about the work of God, and God will reveal that call to you. So uh, the, the being on mission for God, which we can all do, begins with a call. And second, it takes place in community. Now, as we understand community, I, I looked up the definition, and it says this, a group sharing common interests or characteristics and perceived as distinct in some respect from the larger society. Boom. The Christian community shares in common the interest of the kingdom of God advancing here on this earth. That is a common interest that we all share. Now, in, in our story, uh, Abram gets the call, and Lot, it says in verse 4, it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. We, we have a mission in our life that's specific and unique for us. But we, we accomplish that mission in community with other people. We draw, listen, I can imagine that as Lot, I mean, as Abram was traveling 1,470 miles around the Middle East, that he needed somebody's help in, in organizing, in, in helping feed in, in taking care of the daily needs of the group of people. I, I don't know this, but Abram may have asked Lot for directions at some point. I don't know. But I do know that for Abram, Lot was a vital part of his story. And for us, there are people in our lives who are vital parts of our story. We need their assistance, their counsel, their wisdom. Everybody is different. Every one of us brings different gifts and talents to everything. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to go to a, a mission trip story, a couple of different stories to kind of illustrate this. Uh, I came to First Baptist in 2007 as a young adult pastor, uh, went on that summer on a mission trip to South Dakota with a group of students. Uh, the first day that we were there, I was with the youth group and, and some college students. Our, the youth pastor, David Mitchell, was, was leading the trip. And so the first day we're there, I'm on site with uh, David and a group of students and some other adults, uh, and, and we're putting a roof on a pastor's house out in South Dakota. And so, David, if you don't know David, I know a lot of you do, so you, none of this will surprise you if you know, if you know David. He's a, he's a big, strong guy, played college football, tough from, you know, from Georgia, upstate Georgia, and just, you know, just a, a country boy that can, you know, he doesn't feel pain, I don't think. Uh, so anyway... He reaches down and he picks up two bundles of shingles and he puts them on his shoulder. And I think, 
how much does a bundle of shingles weigh? Well, I looked it up, 60 to 80 pounds. So he's got about 120, 130 pounds on the shoulder. And he looks at one of the guys and he says, give me those two bundles of shingles. And whoever it is picks them up, puts them on this shoulder. And I'm thinking, he's standing on the ground. What is he going to do with four bundles of shingles? Well, he walks over to the ladder and he goes, whoop, 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 whoop. And I went, I was literally like, I have never seen anybody do anything like that. David didn't flinch. He didn't look around like, look at who's looking at me. Who saw that? That's amazing. I was going, that was amazing. All right. So he, that's David. So um, uh, a few years later, 2011, I'm on a youth trip to, uh, to uh, Golden Isles, Georgia. We're on another roof. This time, Dave, Doug Westmoreland is leading the group. Uh, and I'm on the ground just like I was last time, making sure everybody's got water, supplies, whatever needs to happen. And Doug yells down, Jamie, I need four bundles of shingles. And I went, okay. He goes, I need you to go to the store and get four bundles of shingles for me. So I've been to the store, running errands, picking up supplies. So I go to the hardware store, and it's one of these stores. You go in. I paid for the four bundles of shingles. They give you a little sheet of paper, and you drive around to the back to the loading dock, and, and you load up the bundles of shingles. So I back up the van to the to the loading dock and the, the bundles of shingles are right here and the back of the van is right here. And I go. Wow. I still got three to go. I do that a couple more times, and the guy who's, who's working back in the, in the loading dock area kind of comes walking over to me, and he's got his hat on, and, you know, he, he goes, you know you got to be able to get those to the roof when you get to the house, right? <laughs> I went, yes. I said, I've got guys who can get them to the roof. I've just got to get them to the, to the, uh, to the house. I said, look, I, I'm... We all have our own gifts and talents. When we go on a mission trip and we work together to complement each other, I'm fine going and picking up bundles of shingles at a store and getting them to the, getting them to the site. Don't ask me to get them up a, a ladder. I'm not going to be able to. You need shingles to the roof? David Mitchell's your man. But our lives complement each other. We help each other accomplish our, our mission and our call in life. We need, to, we need the, the wisdom and the community that the Christian uh, faith brings to us. So being on mission begins with a call, takes place in community, and, and number three, it creates spiritual markers. If you look in verses seven and eight of this passage, I didn't read them, but you'll find twice it says, and Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord. And that's in verse 7. And then uh, it says, there in Bethel, he built another altar and dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. When we are uh, on a mission trip, when we are on mission with God, we create spiritual markers in our lives, things that remind us of God's presence and what he's done in our lives. Now, I brought two, uh, two spiritual markers for me. Uh, these are on mission, things that have happened on mission trip with me. Uh, things that remind me of something specific about what God has done and how God has protected us. First is the Zambia trip. Now, this was not with David Petro. This was in 2001 with a group from First Baptist Church in Greer, South Carolina. We led a team, and we were in Lusaka, uh, Zambia, which is the capital city. And we left Lusaka one day to go out into the bush. We drove for about four or five hours. Uh, and about, about an hour or two into our journey, the missionary that we were working with said, 
uh, you know, there's no more electricity, you know, there's no cell phone service, there's no, uh, I don't even know if we had cell phones back then, there's no telephone service, there's no, uh, there's no running water where we're going, so we were, we were out in the, in the bush, and we, on the very first night we were there, there's 12 of us, we had two vehicles, one was a van, uh, a kind of a mini bus that carried most of us, and then we had a car, and the mini bus that we were in, the driver ran through a ditch that night, knocked the oil pan out, and we were stranded. There was, there was 15 of us, including our missionaries, uh, out in the bush with one car. And, and so our, our missionary got in the car with, one, with our pastor and drove back to Lusaka. And we spent two days in the bush, no way to communicate, no way to get, no transportation to get back if there was an emergency. I spent two days, and I walked around the mission site. We were in a, we were in a school building and, and outside in a soccer field. I walked around that mission site for two days, and this was my prayer. Lord, please let there not be any medical emergencies. Lord, please don't let anybody get hurt. Lord, I, just, I, am, I am praying for everybody's health and safety. And for two days, we played soccer. We played freeze tag. We played games. We had kids climbing on top of us and running around. And, and let me tell you something. The, the greatest sight I'd ever seen was at about 1.30 the second day when the, a, a new minibus comes pulling into that parking lot. I was like, praise you, Lord. Thank you. And I just knew. This, this reminds me. I have a God who's in the middle of nowhere watching over us. Now, the other the other this one sits in my office, and I don't think I've got anybody from this mission trip. This was from 2008. We went to Rochester, New York, and I had a group that was with me. It was about 12 of us, and we were working in a food bank. Now, it was a warehouse. They, they, this was a regional warehouse. They sent uh, uh, thousands of pounds of food out every week to food banks all around the region, not just in Rochester. So the first day we're there, we're, we're sorting some food, and we, we finish that up. And John Baldonzo was the, the gentleman that we were working with. And John comes walking over to me. He said, man, I have a job for you guys. I, he said, it's not a glamorous job, but it's a job that we need done. And he walks me into a room. And I kid you not, there is a room filled with boxes and boxes and boxes of Wegmans bottled water. And it's expired. So the food bank can no longer send it out, can't, can't use it. He goes, he goes, Jamie, I need you guys to pour out the water from those boxes down the drains right here and then put the bottles back in the boxes. And I went, that's our mission for the week, okay. And he goes, we get 15 cents for every bottle that we can exchange. He goes, I have groups that come in here and I ask them to do this, and they go, we, we, can't, we, we don't want to do that. He goes, I just need a group that will do it. Got 12 of us. We sat around for, for two days. We sat around in chairs around this drain, and we unscrewed and poured. Unscrewed and poured. And I'm going to tell you something. There was a lot of strange looks going around the room that day. We were like, all right. Glad we can tell people about Jesus. Woo! All right. We laughed. We had a good time. And when we finished, John came in. And, and we, we did them all. We finished every one. And he, he, he came in and he went, he went, Jamie, i got to tell you something. I've had groups that have come in and, and they've done it, but they've complained about it. They, they've talked about how, what a boring job it was. He goes, I, you guys had the best attitude. And I want you to know that it's probably about $5,000 worth of bottles that you emptied out for us. And, and, and this bottle 
sits on, on, on my shelf in my office, and it reminds me there's no task too small, no job too insignificant to be important in the kingdom of God when God has called you to do it. That's a spiritual marker for me. And I believe this, when we are, when we are on mission for God, he will give us spiritual markers in our lives, things that we can look back on and go, I remember when God did this in my life. Those are the altars that Abram built for him. So we know when we're on mission with God, we know that uh, there's a call. We know it takes place in community. We know it's going to create spiritual markers, but we also know this. It comes with detours. Now, Abram thought he was going to land in Canaan and stop there, but a famine struck and he ended up moving to Egypt. And he knew that he was where God wanted him to be. He knew that he'd heard God's call correctly, but there was, there was, uh, there were things that caused him to take a detour. In our lives, those things are uh, sickness, job loss, accidents, uh, natural disasters, broken relationships, and how we respond to those detours are going to determine so much about how we continue along the journey. And I've asked David to come and share because his call to, to Zambia isn't just the end of the story. Uh, I, I wanted him to share a little bit more about where they are uh, in their journey with, uh, with God. Well, last year in March, we had concluded our furlough, and we headed back overseas to our home in Zambia. And as we got back there, there were some things that needed to be addressed and things that had happened in our absence, and so we started addressing those with the pastors. We had fallen back in our language abilities a little bit, and so started teaching again in the language and recouping our language abilities, and so that was going well. We decided that we should meet with the pastors, as a a group of pastors, that we should meet more often than once a quarter, and so we started meeting every other week, and I led them in a time of Bible study. We were going through the book of Ephesians, and then we took a time, and we would pray about things that were going on in their different areas of ministries. We had planned for where our next outreach was going to be. We had already started or seen a a new church start in an area called Nyaluvanga with a church group in Texas that had come out and helped us and Man, that church that was partnering uh, there in Zambia was doing really great at going out, and every week they were there teaching Bible study. They were singing songs. They had even sent their choir from their church about 15 kilometers over to this church. Some of you, uh, one of the Sunday school classes here at First Baptist had provided bicycles uh, to these pastors, and I went with a guy named Timothy Njovu, and he said, let's go out. I want to show you this new Bible study, and we... I met him on his bicycle. We parked his bicycle at a bar, and we jumped in my truck, and we went out, and he showed me this new work area. We had some 45 people showed up to a Bible study that he started leading. And so all these things were going really well, and we had you know plans for, to stay for a long time. In fact, since we got back, uh, my wife Heather had gone to a meeting and left me there with the children, and so I thought, well, what can we do while she's gone? And I thought, hey, we should build a chicken coop. That'll be fun. <laughs> it would, no, just adults, uh, dads, no. Uh, if you're left with your three kids, just keep them alive. <laughs> That's your goal. <laughs> um, so anyways, we built a chicken coop while she was gone, and we added 10 chickens to our family. We planted in our garden. We had about 750 years of corn or a stalks of corn that we had planted. We had green beans and carrots and tomatoes that were coming up, and so we had this idea that we were going to be there for quite a while. Well, during that time in November of last year, Heather's back began hurting her her again. Some of you all know that she had some back surgery about a year and a half, two years ago. 
and so the IMB flew her down to South Africa, and they saw her there. And while she was there, she saw a pulmonologist to deal with some asthma issues that were going on. And through the conversation she had with that doctor, she real, they realized that she was taking her rescue inhaler way too often. We didn't know. They gave her, in America, they gave her this rescue inhaler and said, if you have problems breathing, take this. Well, they didn't tell her how many times it was acceptable. And she was taking it sometimes five times a day or more. And pretty much on average 12 to 15 times in a week. Well, when she got to the doctor there, they said, you're only supposed to take that maybe, uh, you should, can take it once, maybe twice a week if things are bad. And twice a week should only be, you know, not a regular occurrence. And here she was taking it 12 to 15 times in a week. And then she mentioned an issue that had happened with our youngest daughter when we were out in a bush church and, uh, really a bad situation where uh, Heather ended up carrying our daughter uh, to the car because she couldn't breathe and to get her asthma medicine. And we discovered later that it was, it was serious enough that our children could have died, especially that day our child could have died. And so the IMB uh, discussing with the doctors and with us said, you know, you can't go back to Zambia. If something happens, well, to Lundazi, if something happens there, you're so far from medical care, we can't let you go back there because your children will die. Um, so they said, why don't you try Lusaka, the capital city? And so we went there for about two months, and their asthma symptoms did not improve. And so the IMB said, well, come back to South Africa. You cannot live in Zambia, that's clear, but let's see if we can find a place for you in, in South Africa or in another area. So we went down to South Africa for about six weeks, and one of our daughters improved, and the other daughter got worse. And so after about six weeks, we, along with the medical team of the IMB, decided, you know, this is not healthy. It's not a good place to make decisions from. We're going to send you back to America, and we know your asthma is good there, and then we can see, you can see doctors there, see how things go. And if things go well, then we can look at possibly reassigning you to another area of the world. And so since we've come back, uh, you know, praise God, their asthma has gotten better. Heather is almost off all of her medicines. Our oldest daughter, Michaela, is almost off all of her medicines. And our youngest daughter is now stabilized with her asthma. They call it uh, stabilized or balanced. And so uh, she rarely uses her rescue inhaler. In fact, I think she uses it about once a month now, where she was using it 20 to 25 times a month overseas. So with that being said, we don't know what's coming next. We are still on medical leave with the IMB. And so they are evaluating our situation and where possible you know, places in the world could be that we might could try to serve at or if we're you know, meant to just stay in the States for this time. But we don't know. But we do know that you know, God saw us through some very difficult times and he protected us through those difficult times. And so now we're back here and you know, Jamie mentions it's a detour. It's a big detour. We don't know uh, in a month if we will be in America, if we'll be in Europe or you know, where God or what God has for us. But we do know that God has proven himself faithful over all our years in walking with him. And so we, we lean into that. We trust that God is going to continue his faithfulness because that is the character of, of who he is, that we can trust him. All right. Thank you, David. And listen, the, the fact of the matter is, if you're on mission with God and following his call, not only are you pro not protected from difficult situations and tests, you're almost guaranteed difficult situations and tests uh, to, to, to try to 
Satan's going to try to throw you off and keep you from following what God wants you to do. And God's going to keep saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Stay with me, follow me. I want to just close real quick with these two things in this passage of Scripture. When you are on mission with God and following Him, you'll be blessed by God and you'll be a blessing to others. can't tell you how many times I have walked out of situations in third world countries, inner city projects here in America, and been blessed because I've been there. Uh, and the last thing is this, is you're never alone. When you're on mission with God, you are never alone. God is always with you. God is always there. So as we come to this time where we make a commitment to him, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you, do you know what your call is? Do you know what God is calling you to do? If not, I'll be more than glad to pray with you as you seek God's call in your life. If you know what God's call is in your life, are you following it? Are you being a part of the mission that God has called you to do? Are you actively seeking out ways to accomplish that call? Ways to be on mission with God. Maybe you just need to, maybe your first step in that mission is just coming and joining First Baptist Church. Maybe you just need to say, I want to be a part of First Baptist Church and I want my mission, my journey to take place here within this community. So as we pray and then we'll stand and we'll sing, I'll be down front. You come and if you need me to pray with you, I'll pray with you. If you need to join First Baptist, we'll have counselors here who can help you do that. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who blesses us, who walks with us, who calls us and never leaves us. Lord, we pray that as we sing this morning, God, we pray that your spirit would draw us to you, to make the commitment that you've called us to make. In Jesus' name, amen.